Welcome to episode 139 of The STEM Space, where Claire and I have a discussion that started in episode 137 on the frustrations that college professors had about the way engineering is taught in K-12. A lot of faculty complain that incoming engineering students are not prepared with basic math skills, and their students have a lot of misconceptions around professional engineering. So how does this translate into what we can do as STEM educators for K-12, and what exactly is the role of a STEM teacher? Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Claire. Hey. How are you doing? I'm surviving. I'm running on coffee and two hours of sleep, but it's all good. What is happening in your STEM classroom these days? You know, uh, I feel like I'm always really ambitious at the beginning of the year and I want to do all these big projects, but then I don't think through. And this is my like fourth year running this specific program. You would think I'd have this figured out by now, but I don't think through how all these projects overlap. And so everything's kind of coming to a head at once, which is stressful. So I have my fifth graders are doing the Rube Goldberg competition, the national competition is on April 6th. They have their regional competition this week and uh, at my school. So I'm running it and uh, it's really intense. It's going to be great, but the students are like barely going to make it to where they're meeting all the qualifications. So it's intense. Yes. So are they first planning out all the things they're going to do and then do they physically build it and that's what gets submitted? Yes. So we started at the fall semester introducing what a Rube Goldberg machine was and then talking about the different parts of it. So we talked about energy transfers because that's uh, one of the requirements is to have at least 10 energy transfers. So we have to talk about what is energy. Okay. Does it have to be an energy transfer or an energy transformation? Like, does it have to change types? Okay. Not transformation. Good clarification there. Yes. So like a ball hits another ball, that would be an energy transfer. So the kinetic energy transferred to another object. So each energy transfer is a step and they're required to have a minimum of 10 energy transfer steps. So, and it cannot be like domino topples or a marble run because those are too simple. Mm. And then they're also required to have at least four different kinds of simple machines involved in their Rube Goldberg machine. So we get to talk about simple machines, which is great. So a lot of science in there, a lot of more um, intuition in math. So so there's not any measurements that we're specifically doing or math calculations, but they do have to figure out things like uh, they have a maximum time requirement of three minutes for their run. So they have to make sure things are going at the appropriate speed. Uh, They have to make sure things that are appropriate angles. So there's a lot of really great things that you can tie into Rube Goldberg machines. I love them, but I've never done the competition before. So they started out 
in their teams of five kids per team, which is a lot. That's a big dynamic, as you know. And then they design all the steps on paper, which of course their ideas are like wild on paper. And then they're (laughs) having to build it. And they're like, wait, (laughs) do I actually understand what a lever is and how to make one? It's intense. Yeah. So they're really stressed out right now. They have Mm -hmm. two days, uh, but it's going to be great. And then they get to put on a presentation, which is really cool. So they picked a, like a theme. So every year the competition has a different end task. This year it's putting a toothpaste on a toothbrush. Ooh. They have to make a complicated way to do that. And so uh, they're, they come up with like themes for their machine to pick what objects they're going to put into it. And then they give a presentation at the beginning that's supposed to be kind of humorous and get you excited to see how their contraption works. So I had three of my four teams come up with something related to the bathroom. So one team's the rubber duckies. And so they have a lot of rubber ducks on things. Uh, And then there's one that's shark bait. So they have a bunch of like sea, like aquatic kind of theme to it. And then I have another team that I thought their idea was super creative. The other ones were related to the bathroom and toothpaste, which is typical, but they called themselves the Smarties and theirs is all candy themed. So they have like a Candyland type of coloring and they even have a Candyland board on their board and little characters like Candyland. And they're talking about, hey, if you have a bunch of sugar, you're going to need to brush your teeth. So I love it. It was, it's really cute. Yeah. So that's a big part of what I'm working on right now. And that's just one class. So how many? Oh, I don't know. A lot. <laughs> oh, like I've lost track of my own. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What's one other project that your students are working on? So we have the solar eclipse, which we talked about in a previous podcast. So since that's coming up, we're doing a big event with my school and we're using this event kind of as a fundraiser for a NASA field trip that I'm doing with my middle schoolers. And part of the fundraising is 3D designing keychains to sell that are related to the solar eclipse and t-shirt designing. So we're learning about how to use computer graphics and more just like learning your way around a computer and, and that kind of thing. And then with the yeah. 3D printing. So Uh, That sounds really intense, but Tinkercad is just such a great program and really easy to use. So I'm, I'm liking how that's going. And then the zoo enclosure project also with my upper school where they're building a zoo that's going to be on the moon. So that's, uh, yeah. (laughs) I didn't know that part of it. (laughs) Yeah. So we have the zoo enclosure project. That's a product that Vivify has. Are we Um, now going to have a moon version? (laughs) I'm thinking that we need one because don't we tie everything to space? It's just cooler that way. Yes. But it's going to be on display during our solar eclipse uh, event is having this giant model that's a one inch to one foot scale of what a zoo enclosure or zoo could look like on the moon. So we're talking about space tourism. And if people are going to want to come to the moon on a vacation, they'll probably want some activities to do besides just jumping around, right? 
So you might as well want to go to a zoo so you can see how different animals might be reacting. It's kind of like, I didn't say this to the kids, but it's kind of like having lab rats on the moon, except they're not rats, they're giraffes and So it's like a science and... lab for animals. Yeah, right. Okay. But it's a zoo. We're but calling it a zoo. For tourism as well, which could fund the research activities of animals. Exactly. And, you know, just to see how, how they live and and breathe on the moon <laughs> and these, the zoo. So, so it's really cool because we've had some interesting discussions about, you know, what, what considerations do you need for helping your animal? They had to choose their own animal. How would you help them survive on the moon? And what would visitors be interested in knowing? Yeah. So yeah, it's, that's also been intense, but it's good. Well, <laughs> speaking of the moon, what recently happened? Oh my goodness. We landed on the moon. Uh, and so I've been telling all my students this and yeah. I dressed like full out NASA gear on the day that we landed back on the moon. And no, none of the kids asked what was going on or said anything about my oh. outfit which it's probably because I wear NASA stuff all the time. I was like, was it different? <laughs> no, it probably wasn't any different. But yeah, for the first time in over 50 years, uh, NASA has landed something on the moon and not just on the moon, but on the South Polar region, which is where we're planning to send people there to stay because there's potentially water there or we know there's water there. Mm -hmm. We just don't know how to access it or where right. exactly or how much it is. So yeah. super exciting. Odysseus landed, landed on its side, which is weird. Um, mm -hmm. But that's one thing that my students, my fourth graders have been really struggling with. Their project right now that they're working on is building these life-size kind of mannequins of a new lunar spacesuit mm -hmm. out of like paper mache. And they're having to come up with what tools they would need on the moon to explore the South Polar region and collect water. And they're like, well, if the lunar lander landed on its side, but it's on the South Pole, like, is it, is it kind of right side up? And I was like, what are you talking? I was like, you're technically sideways right now. Do you feel sideways? So yeah. they're like, there's no gravity. Ah. So the animals are floating on right. the <laughs> No. How do you get rid of this misconception? They just don't understand how there's there is gravity on the moon. I mean, I'm teaching undergrads and this is a misconception that a few students have. Like we've talked about this where they designed a habitat on Mars in another class that I was grading for. Mm -hmm. And in their presentation, after doing a month of research, they have Velcro straps everywhere on this Mars, Mars habitat because they're like, otherwise you'd float away. Mm. And I was like, anybody, <laughs> anybody? Just like the rovers that are on Mars are floating right. away. Yeah, I thought we were getting somewhere in my last class because I was like, there is gravity on the moon. And once I was like, just imagine that you could, that you were six times stronger in your legs. So you could just jump six times higher. That's kind of what mm -hmm. it's like. It's just six times less gravity on the moon. And then one girl, I was like, okay, I think we're getting somewhere. They're like, oh, and she was like, but you just want to make sure you don't jump too high or you might float away. It's like, uh, no, okay. Hmm. I mean, uh, that'd be impressive. Escape velocity. Right, I was like, what is the escape velocity? <laughs> I think you should ask your husband that. What? That is a great question. <laughs> I'm writing it down. 
<laughs> I always leave I don't my know. class with questions for him because they ask me questions and I'm like, great. I love that. Let me get back to you. Right. <laughs> what What is this? <laughs> yeah. And then one of them was like, okay, since the lander landed on its side, does it also have a helicopter that can like be released and go take pictures? I was like, that would be really cool, but there's no atmosphere on the moon. So you can't yeah. really have a helicopter unless it is has a rocket. I don't know how that would work. So, you know? Yeah, a helicopter wouldn't work. Mm -mm. Uh -uh. The only way we can get off of the moon is by jet propulsion. Or jumping. Or jumping. <laughs> a big trampoline. <laughs> there you go. But what I've realized is anytime they see a space movie or something mm. about space, it's usually the International Space Station and they're floating in space or when they're traveling somewhere, they're floating, you know, there's no gravity. And so they're just in their minds like Earth gravity, space, no gravity. And it's so mm -hmm. hard to like break that very black and white kind of thinking. Yeah, you're right. So I feel like we need more... Are there any kids' movies where they land on the moon or Mars? I don't think I can't think of anything right now because I'm like the Martian. That's uh, not really. Don't show that. I had to show edit that. that when I showed it. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in there. Heads up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, just showing them like the Apollo mission where they like land on the moon, and it's really fun to watch those astronauts bouncing around like. I showed them that because we were talking about drag and how you, they dropped um, a hammer and a feather on the moon. Oh, yes. Out. Yes. It's such a great video. But if you watch the whole clip, then they just like dance and just like bounce <laughs> around. And it's amazing. And my students were like, had never seen a clip of astronauts on the moon. Like it was mm. not something they're used to seeing. And so I think they just know ISS. All of NASA's mm -hmm. like videos and stuff is about astronauts on the space station. So maybe we just need to show more of that content. Yes. Or clips of the Martian. Clips. Of, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> it has great content in there where he's like doing hydroponics and exploring. Oh, yeah. But then they get confused because they think people have actually been to Mars, which is something True. that. Yeah. So I'm Curiosity. like more fired up about breaking down these misconceptions before they get to like you when they're going to. <laughs> when they're an undergrad and you're or like, just Claire, you failed, you let a couple through, but still think. <laughs> All right. Make notes. Where are you from? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, not instilling new misconceptions, but also breaking mm -hmm. down the old ones, which is so hard. But in a previous episode, we talked a little bit about how professors are disgruntled about how we do STEM. They are. Uh, is misconception something that they've voiced too? Yeah, I have, um, I'll have to put them together, but I have several quotes from faculty that say, I almost prefer you not teach engineering or at least not call it engineering in K-12 because they come in and students think they know what engineering is about. Mm. And then it's not, one is they're not prepared, but the other one is they don't even understand that we're not going to be doing popsicle stick bridges and, you know, tower challenges in the real world. Like I'm preparing you to be a professional engineer and that requires you to use a whole different set of tools 
and way of thinking than what you've been doing in K-12. And we got several questions and comments about this on Instagram, on this podcast. And one we talked about in the podcast was about math and how we're not doing enough math. And mm -hmm. part of that, when I say math, there's two pieces. One is just teaching math concepts. So like algebra was number one is what they felt students don't know enough of is algebra and then was calculus. But they were like, at least bring them in knowing algebra <laughs> and then they can like figure out the calculus because it's also developmentally appropriate. Like it's easier for them to teach it as like a ninth grader. I mean, as a incoming freshman than as a ninth grader trying mm -hmm. to figure out calculus is hard. Um, but then the second piece is this like quantitative analysis or what we call like predictive analysis. Mm -hmm. So when you design a rocket, like in your classroom, in my classroom, we're building them out of straw and we're just throwing it together and we're like, whoa, look how far it went. Amazing. <laughs> in engineering, they're putting it in a quantitative, like computational model. And they're like, oh, if I change the nose cone this much, here's how far I predict it, move. And it's a very different way of using math and technology to design things that is really not happening in K-12, but I also don't know how to bring more of that in. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm struggling with a lot of this because it's so much easier to get those quick wins in a project where kids are excited and engaged than to draw something out long enough to where you're really feeling like you're hammering in the math and science concepts, but you don't wanna cut that short either. So my, my take is also that you wanna make sure that's developmentally appropriate. So there's a lot of times when I try to do like controlling variables with kids that don't even have the right fine motor skills yet. So they physically can't control variables. They don't really understand it. So I'm trying to build more experiential knowledge younger so that I'm able to build upon that with more in-depth math and science as they get yeah. into um, upper elementary. So elementary is a different world than high school. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is really they're speaking to those high school teachers who are continuing to do STEM challenges in the way that maybe you do it in your elementary classroom mm -hmm. when they're, they should now be applying the physics that they're learning, the algebra, if they're taking calculus, like those can start being integrated into those engineering classes. So I think that's a whole separate conversation, but it's also misleading when we talk about and use the word engineering, when we in fact might mean something different um, and we've had this conversation of like, do we call it tinkering? Do we, it's like inventions, innovation, creativity, like we're building these habits of mind, right? And it's all the foundations to becoming a generally just a better, well-rounded person. And that eventually translates into maybe a better engineer. But that's like, we don't care so much that every kid becomes an engineer, right? We want there to are be some problem solvers. That's... Yeah, we there's pieces of engineering that are valuable to every single kid. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to make sure like our audience is able to distinction distinguish between like when we say STEM, we aren't in the bucket of like workforce development. And a lot of people are and they're yes. trying to get more engineers and scientists, which is great. But we're also about all the kids and how do we prepare every kid? You said problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, innovation. And it doesn't necessarily need to be through 
you know, doing engineering design with like this computational model of a rocket. <laughs> and so that's what we're just like juggling all these things and trying to figure it out because faculty are like, well, y'all suck because now my engineering undergrads aren't prepared for anything. And we're like, but what is the best for all kids? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's so hard. I feel like every time we have these kinds of conversations, we're like, we're starting over. We're going to do something totally different. But we're not we're not missing it. I just feel like there's so many things that we can do better to hone those skills. And that's why we always talk about the three stages of STEM and making sure like all of those different skills are valuable. It's just putting them in the right place of you haven't made it. This isn't engineering just because you built a widget, you know, right. um, and maybe we shouldn't call it engineering, but does it, I don't know if it really matters. I think as long as we are also showcasing real engineering, real world engineering, which is why we feel like showing careers is so important uh, to show what the kind of end goal is, if that's what you want to do, then, then the rest of it will kind of fall in place. And that's also, when you mentioned high school, I, uh, since my school is adding a, a new grade every year, so next year we're going to be adding 10th grade, I said, I'm done. Like my class does not go into high school because they don't need it and it would be harmful. <laughs> they need to be taking those really hard science classes in math. They don't need a STEM class. Right. Um, and that's a really powerful statement right there that I hope everybody understands what you mean, because mm. we like STEM in high school is something very different than STEM in mm -hmm. elementary middle school. And you're saying like enough of the tinkering and tower challenges for those like 15 year olds. Yes. <laughs> There's something else that is needed. And that perhaps is the conversation the faculty are trying to have and their perspective is really those like older kids. And the response we got from the podcast was from our elementary teacher audience who was freaking mm -hmm. out like, oh, no, <laughs> like <laughs> I, I need to rethink everything. And so let's not take too much of what those faculty are saying, because mm -hmm. they really just know immediately like those kids coming into my class what they need. But if you're teaching K through like fifth. I mean, what you're doing is amazing and giving mm -hmm. them these experiences and playing with those different contraptions and building catapults and straw rockets. Like this is what school's about and it's driving creativity and doing the Rue Goldberg machine and being innovative. That is so important, but also should not replace the rigor of the science and math classes. So I think that's the kind of consensus yes. to come to. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we should definitely be teaching quote unquote engineering in K-12, but it might look a little different than what some people have in mind. And I don't know if there's like a, that was actually a really good summary. I don't think I should add to that, but, um, <laughs> but I think it's just something to be mindful of that we're not replacing things. So I have a lot of teachers that come to me and say, Hey, I don't really have time to teach this concept in math or science. I'm like, yeah, I'll teach it, but it's, it's not because STEM replaces it or yeah. building a catapult replaces it. I'm going to have to, okay, I'm going to take this time and I'm going to teach that concept. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then maybe we incorporate it into some kind of engineering build, but you can't teach 
in my opinion, you can't teach math and science through engineering. You have to be specific yep. in how you're, you teach the science, you teach the math, and then we can apply it in other ways to give a more repetition of practice. Yeah. Just like you do in any other class. Yeah. And let's not place the burden of teaching math and science on our STEM teachers. And mm -hmm. that's what I feel some of these teachers felt. They're like, oh no, I'm not doing enough <laughs> math. And yes, let's add more math into STEM because then they students start putting together math belongs in engineering and they can start seeing those connections or at least show them a video or do a career chat. Do you use math as an aerospace engineer? Like have them start making those connections. Mm -hmm. But when I taught Space Club, an after-school STEM program is completely different than the way I teach physics to my undergrads, which are elementary teachers. Totally different approach, like night and day. One is like fun and exciting and building and tinkering and persevering and teamwork. And the other one is like, let's talk about heat transfer. Right. <laughs> and you know molecular bonds and it, it like i can't teach it through engineering i can use it to apply to an engineering design challenge which i do and is fun but it's yeah i feel like i think we're on the same page yeah we are and so for an example for those who are teaching elementary uh, one way that i connect a math concept to an engineering design challenge is after students have already learned in their regular classes how to do like surface area that's when you can do some sort of drag device like the lander challenge and they can calculate the surface area underneath their lander and be like oh bigger surface area equals more drag so if i make a bigger surface area they can do that calculation so that's an application but i don't teach how to calculate surface area they should already know that but then they'll see the value of why you would need that to do yeah. something and I just did that unit last week with my ah. students. And so I am the science teacher, right? Like this is a science class, but I did mm -hmm. engineering in my classroom. And so mm -hmm. we spent a whole week learning about gravity and force diagrams and what drag is and what impacts drag. And we did all these experiments and collected data and they finally got it. And then I was like, okay, all that information, now build a space lander. You have to build the landing platform. Immediately they got it. They're like, oh, obviously we need to increase the area. If I had done that same challenge before, which is one idea, you could do this, and they haven't even thought about drag, they're going to be building something very different. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the perfect example of like how science can be applied to engineering, and it helps both. Like you're learning design practices, and you're deepening your understanding of science. And throw in the math, do some calculations, area. Yes. Yep. There you go. All right. <laughs> Well, good luck with the Rude Goldberg competition. Um, you have those two days to figure it out. <laughs> so yeah. you got it. Good luck, kids. I'll let you know. Yeah, and we'll definitely have to post some videos if you can um, showing these in action because I am uh, super excited. But for now, STEM space out. We want to take a second to give a big thank you to listeners out there who've been tuning in to the STEM Space podcast. We love what we do. We love sharing content, the latest and greatest of STEM education and tips and tricks to help you to teach STEM. If you have been listening to us and would love to support us, please leave us a review so we can keep sharing amazing resources and content. Thank you.